All right, everybody. Exciting announcement. Years ago, I interviewed a gentleman named Joseph Sheehy, and he started a company called Cured Nutrition, who we have partnered with. We partnered with them because I love him, I love his mission, and I love what Cured has created. So Cured has products that have been designed with the intention to support all aspects of the daily human experience, whether you are looking for clean natural energy, relief from your everyday discomforts or anxieties, or a reset button for your deep night's sleep, which on that note is one of my favorite products. They have a sleep bundle that I really, really love. Uh, They have nightcaps and zen, which are great, great, great for sleep. So they have a bunch of different products. They have functional mushrooms, CBD products. Most of their products are CBD-based. They have gut health products. They have some really, really incredible stuff. So head on over to curednutrition.com forward slash mantox and you'll get 20% off all of their products. Again, it's curednutrition.com forward slash Mantox. And please go check them out. It goes a long way in supporting the show. We have been very, very intentional. I've been running this podcast for eight years, and we've been very intentional about who and when we bring on partners. And so if you've been tuning into the show for a brief amount of time or a long time, please go check them out. Again, cured, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com forward slash Mantox. All right, my friend. Welcome back to the Man Talk Show. Good to see you again. How, how have you been? Oh, wonderful, man. I'm just excited to be back with you again. I really enjoyed you last time. Thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, I try and be as charming as I can in these conversations so that guests want to come back. You know, this, <laughs> it's like uh, I released a book at the end of January and I've been on, I don't even know, but now like 100 plus podcasts. And it really has taught me how valuable and how important the host is, you know, at facilitating the conversation. Because there's a huge difference between somebody that is genuinely curious and can let that curiosity lead the conversation versus somebody who's got a script and is like going through the 10 questions that they wrote down that they're going to ask you. And there's, there's value in both of those things. But man, it made me value a really good conversation. And it's, it's actually reinvigorated me for these, for these dialogues that I get to have with people to really try and have a phenomenal conversation with somebody so that, that the guest walks away feeling like it was a good conversation. So I feel yeah. like if I can do that, you know, I'm, I'm doing something right at the very least. Well, one thing that the uh, last time that that um, that we came on together, man, you were amazing. I left that that podcast thinking, I really not only do I really like that guy, but I like the way he interviews and I like the way he creates this atmosphere for great conversation. Man, it was beautiful. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, let's let's dive in because there's a few things that I want to talk to you about. I I want to talk tactical, practical aspects about losing losing fat, losing body fat and, and gaining mass, building muscle. I think I've talked about it on the show before, like my mission by 40 is to be in the best shape of my life. And so I've started to really take that seriously. And, you know, I, I did a bunch of weightlifting when I was in my twenties. I've always worked out. I've always worked out since I was like 15 years old, but I've actually just never taken it seriously. It's just something that I've enjoyed and I've done and I've kept myself in good shape but I've never taken it seriously to the point to like see what my body can do. 
And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on a mission this year to actually see what my body can do. Because I, I feel like I would be, I think I would actually have regret, you know, if I was like 65 years old and I didn't give it a real go to like, see how much weight can I push? How, like, how good can I look? How much muscle can I put on? How, how much cardio can I, can I endure? You know, so I like bought an assault bike that's in my gym downstairs, which is heinous. <laughs> you know, it's just the worst thing in the world, but I love it. You know, I got a squat rack and bench press and, and, uh, and a weighted vest, which brings a whole new level of, of pain to push ups and dips and chin ups and stuff like that. So, so I kind of wanted to, I want to do that. I also want to talk about a few other things like, you know, there's this guy in modern, in the sort of like modern conversation. I don't know if you've heard of him, the liver King. You seen that guy? No, I haven't seen the liver King. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, maybe I'll bring him up, but there was some huge controversy around him with like steroid use. And so I think I'd want to touch on, on that a little bit. Um, so there's a bunch of things I want to talk with you about, but the first place that I wanted to begin is when somebody is wanting to take their exercise a little bit more important, a little bit more focused, a little bit more seriously, what are some of the foundational principles that we should begin with? Like what's just the the basic framework? Are there certain exercises that we should do? Is there a certain approach that we should take from our mindset? Like what are some of the basic principles that you recommend? Well, one is all movement is not good movement, but movement without movement, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So we need to move. But some movements are actually dangerous. And when you decide that you want to develop a muscle or build a muscle or even define a muscle, you want to make sure that you work within the structure of the joint and the muscle, because this is this is a real key. If you just do what it takes, if you just do what it takes to build the muscle, you could be sacrificing the joint. You'll build that muscle, destroy the joint, and now you can't even work the muscle because it's too painful. A lot of your old-time bodybuilders, powerlifters, even your gymnasts, football players, wrestlers, put their bodies in um, compromising positions and you know destroy the joint. So my first thing is to keep you safe. Second thing is to get the development that you want. So the first thing is foundational is consider the joint that that muscle is attached to. That's the first thing. Did that make any sense at all? No, I mean, that made total, that made total sense. My, my immediate thought was what movements are not good movements. Okay. Great question. I'm glad you asked that because this was the second half of it is all of the muscle groups are made in an arc formation. If you look at the shoulder, it's an arc. You look at the chest, it's an arc. The bicep is an arc all the way through your body, your glutes, your hamstrings, your calves. So you want to stay with, if you want to develop that muscle, you want to stay within that arc formation. If you look at the structure of a bird, his upper body is made the same way ours is. He has a ball in a socket in his shoulder. And uh, a bird, if he loses that shoulder joint, he loses his life. So he doesn't do rehab. He does prehab. He rehabs that joint before it ever gets uh, injured because he'll die if he loses it. So in the largest muscle group and the leanest muscle group on a bird is his chest. 
That's why we eat the turkey breast, the chicken breast, because it's lean and it's thick. Well, if we adopt that same arc movement, you notice the way a bird flies in the arc formation, all the muscle groups in the body are made in that same arc. So we want to stay within that arc formation and move away from square movement. Uh, since we're talking about birds, you look at a, an overhead shoulder press. When it's straight over your head, you actually pull that ball out of the socket. And the heavier you go, the more damage you can do. You may not feel it today, but within, you know, within a time period, depending on your genetics, that shoulder is going to start giving you problems. Yeah, it's interesting because like I've always had sort of bad knees. You know, I played a lot of hockey growing up. So my knees yeah. have always been a little bit more sensitive like when my wife and I went on our honeymoon I had it was on my bucket list to go and and climb uh Torres del Pine down in the southern part of Chile and it's yeah. like this 28 kilometer hike where you go up the side of a mountain and you come back down and we had sat on a plane for basically two days to get down there and, and then you know we got there and I was so overzealous that we decided to tackle the big hike on the first day that we were there and didn't really stretch and I'll tell you man on the way back down, like I could barely walk. I was in so much pain. Didn't stretch out my IT bands or my hip flexors or anything. Like I was, it was bad. I was in so much pain. So I, you know, I get what you're saying when there's like, there's, you know, there's some movements that aren't good movements. Um, what, what's your take on something like deadlifts? Because there's, there's a movement, a, a movement that I see has become very popularized. And honestly, like a little bit controversial. And so I see a lot of people like trying to go for max bench press, max squat, max deadlift. What's the use case for something like a deadlift? And does the average person need to be doing that to develop a robust, you know, lower framework of their body? Well, not so much the lower framework, but the entire body, deadlift, squats, sprinting, those are the top three exercises for releasing your own uh, natural growth hormone, which causes overall body growth. But a one rep max is not necess necessarily necessary unless you're in competition. I would never do a run one rep max unless you're in a bench press competition, a powerlift competition, or a deadlift competition, because the possibility of injury is high. I would use 80% of your max and you should be able to do eight to 10 reps at 80% of your max. That's how you judge what you're, you know, that's how I use to judge other people's max rather than doing a one rep max. It's not really necessary. And the danger of it, one bad squat could knock you out forever. I mean, just one bad repetition could really ruin your ability to even work out again. So it's not worth it unless you're in competition. So let's, let's talk about, I would actually like to talk about three or four foundational workouts or movements. When I say workout, I mean, you know, bench press or squat. And I, I'd actually like to talk about the core principles of each of those movements or, or, or workouts. Cause I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are going to the gym, doing squats, doing bench press and those types of things, but don't have just the the fundamentals of what that looks like to do that properly. So like with the squat, for example, what are some of the pieces that are important when doing squats and how do we improve that workout? Like you said, is that something that we should be trying to go for 80%? Do we build our, do we build our way up over reps? Like what do you recommend on, on that side of things? 
Well, one thing, there's a there's a lot of things that, that go into play here, Connor. And matter of fact, that, uh, actually, that's a really good question. There are several things with the squats. You want to make sure that when you squat, uh, when you say squat, most people, the first thing they do is bend their knees. Well, when you squat, uh, that's the single best exercise for overall body growth, but the single most dangerous exercise for injury. So uh, you can use squats and it'll damage your knee joint. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll damage the knee or you can do squats and it has the ability to rehabilitate the knee. If your hamstrings are not flexible, it's absolutely impossible for you to do a healthy squat. Impossible. So the number one thing with squats, I would say, is to make sure as you're squatting, you're developing the flexibility in your lower back and in your uh, hamstrings. Because when you squat, the first movement is not to bend the knees. The first movement is to sit the glutes all the way back. And your, your shin bone should be almost parallel to the wall, should be almost parallel to the wall. Whenever I squat, the shin bone doesn't move. Just my glutes move down and back and it stays straight. If you can't, if you don't have the flexibility and your knees go in front of your toes when you're squatting, what's happening is you're forcing all the pressure to the quadricep. You're moving away from the glute partially, moving away from the hamstring. So you don't have the support around that knee joint itself. But if you can get those glutes back, you force the glutes to engage and you force your hamstrings to engage. Otherwise, all of the pressure goes to the joint itself. And that causes pain in the future, causes instability, so many different things. That's one with the squats. And you want to make sure, you know, they say keep your body, your uh, back straight. It's impossible to do a proper squat with your back straight. It's straight in comparison to the rest of your spine. It's straight going down, but it's almost at a 45 degree angle. So I want to just clarify a couple of pieces because I think this is important because squats are one of those things that like I have a love-hate relationship with and I'm starting to actually do them more. And I found that the more that I've looked into how to do them properly, the more I've enjoyed them. And so it's it was one of those things where I think I didn't like doing squats because I wasn't doing them right. And so they were oh, uncomfortable gotcha. and, you know, and I think what you were saying about the tight hamstrings was, was really good. The other piece. So do you want your knees to be above your, the tops of your feet and your ankles? Like when you're saying, keep your shins parallel to the wall, what you're really just wanting to make sure that people are doing is that their knees are going forward over their toes when you're doing a squat. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if they're going over your toes, you're, the weak point is the front of your patella, right there at the knee joint itself, is where the weakest spot is. And you have no support from the hamstring because the knees are forward, putting all the pressure on your quads. So it's really important to separate your feet. In the beginning, squats feel better and you feel more comfortable with your legs closer. But the closer your legs are, the more it forces your knees to go forward. The wider your feet are, the more uh, stability you have and the better you can sit those glutes back. If you look at powerlifters, if you just click on powerlifting squats and you uh, just pull up some photos, you'll see how wide their feet are from each other. And that's uh, that's the best way to do squats. I wish I, I wish I could show you, demonstrate it for you, the difference in the two and 
if you're touching a person, what I'll do is I'll have somebody touch my hamstring and I'll squat with my knees forward. There'll be uh, the hamstrings will be soft. But the moment I push my glutes back, the hamstrings contract and they engage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I value that. I mean, this is where if I was Joe Rogan, I would ask my producer to pull it up, you know, but we don't have the studio yet. So, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was watching this video the other day of like Ronnie Coleman, you know, like the old school video of, of Ronnie Coleman um, squatting like 800 pounds or something ridiculous oh. like that. I mean, it was just monstrous. You know, I'm looking at him, put all this weight on his back. And I was like, good Lord. You know, I think about how much I'm squatting. I'm like, if I, if I started to squat more than what I am right now, like I think my, my knees wouldn't be too happy, but what you're saying makes a ton of sense. So do you recommend that people practice the form, uh, in just a sort of like regular squat without any weight first, or just with the bar to kind of get the form down first? Like, how do you develop that, that sort of technical aspect of it? Cause I think one of the things that I've learned over the years which I think I said to you before, it's like, I've always loved working out, but I've never taken the technical aspect of it. And now that I'm getting curious with the technical aspect of it, I find that my body is shifting in a much easier, like I, I'm, I'm able to push more, lift more, and my endurance is better and my body just feels better, you know? So do you recommend that people practice the technical part of a squat without weight first? And what would that look like? Well, one thing I get back to the flexibility, you can practice, practice, practice. And they say practice makes perfect, but practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you Mm -hmm. practice the wrong thing over and over and over, that's what you're going to do when you add the weight to it, because you had bad practice (laughs) and you've developed some bad habits. Uh, So Again, I would go back to the flexibility. Get the flexibility. And as you're using the lighter weight, force yourself into the proper position. And as you're going down, as soon as you feel your knees go forward, you stop and say, this is as far as I can go, keeping my glutes down and back. And I'm going to get more flexible. And as you get more flexible, go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. And uh, what happens is if you force yourself to go deeper and your hamstrings are not flexible, you move away from your power because once you get into position, your chest is up, your glutes are back. And as you go down, as soon as you lose the power of uh, holding that tight form, your glutes will roll under and you drop your glutes. You can drop all the way to the floor. But if your body's in the proper position, you can only go back so far and it'll stop. It's almost like a spring where you're loading the spring and it's ready to bounce back. But when you go all the way down and then you roll your glutes, it just gets softer and you have to gut wrench it back up. So it's like loading a spring uh, to do it correctly. And, um, yeah, that's one of the best exercises that you can do. I used to do some powerlifting as well. That was my uh, my start. So I had a really good, firm base. But the form and technique, that's something I'm a real stickler on because, you know, it's not worth damaging yourself. It's good to go ahead and squat, but make sure you're um, concentrating on, I've got to keep those glutes back, watching in the mirror where your knees are where your, where your body, uh, that the form and technique is really, really impeccable because 
Once it's easier to get stronger, all you have to, the, the muscles will adapt and adjust, but, and you can get stronger, but if you keep going against the structure, that structure will eventually break and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to injure yourself. Yeah. Awesome. And, and for everybody that's out there is, you know, if you're looking for examples of what some of, the, some of the things that we're talking about might look like, you can head over to Ron's YouTube channel, which is Iron Chest Master VIP, or you can just search for Ron Williams. And you got a great YouTube channel, man. You got a bunch of uh, really good videos in there. So if you're wanting some of the visual of this, which can sometimes be helpful, then definitely go check that out. Let's let's talk a little bit more about some of the basic things that most of us guys want to know, right? How do we build a good chest? How do we build good legs? How do we build good biceps? <laughs> I can I can hear I can hear all the guys in the alliance being like, okay, I wanna I wanna you know build some good upper body. What are some of the main workouts that we can implement around that? Um, just for some of these basic muscle groups. What's the sort of, you know, if you don't have a lot of time, if you're a new dad, you know, what are some of the basic things that you just absolutely should do to, to take care of that? Well, one with the, with the chest, uh, you just named all the beach muscles, man. That's it. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You go out to the beach, everybody looks at what's in front. Oh, look at those legs, chest and arms. Yeah. But one thing is really important, Connor, I think uh, with the chest is to understand that the bench press is not the best exercise for chest growth and shape and size because you can get a you can get a contraction with the bench press but you can't get a peak contraction and mm-hmm. I want to explain that to you and I'll show you exactly what I mean when you're working the chest it's not the movement of your arms that causes the chest to contract watch this so if my hands are here and I push forward, my shoulders are slightly moving forward. That's the only thing that I really use to contract my chest. The big thing with bench press is you're working a whole lot of tricep. Let me show you some. Take uh, take one hand and put it on the shoulder, right where the shoulder and the chest ties in. Then take the arm and move it back and forth like this. Okay. So you feel a little bit movement there because the shoulder's going forward. Now take that arm and put it straight to the side, but keep that hand there. Now open the chest as wide as you can and just tighten that shoulder right where it's at and then squeeze the shoulder all the way forward as far as it'll go. That's what contracts the chest is the movement of that shoulder girdle. And so uh, that's the same way with the bird. He flies like this. He's moving his shoulder that's contracting. And the rest of this, did you know birds have phalanges as well, fingers? Yeah. If if, if, if you look at a bird, uh, look at the phalanges, he has um, the ulna, the radius. I mean, everything in, in our arm, a bird has it too. He just has wings on it. And he has a phalangium that, that uh, helps to support it so that it doesn't hurt his elbow joint in the bird. I mean, mm. to talk like that, you say birds have elbows, they have a ball in the socket, they have ulna radius. Yeah, they have it all. But they fly in that arc movement, moving and rotating the shoulder. So the best exercises are not necessarily square movements. Bench press is really popular because you can lay on your back and you can max out 
and you can see how strong a person is. It's great for a measurement of strength, but the development of the chest is having lateral movement. And that's hard to find in the gym, having lateral tension coming in towards the center. When you do a cable crossover, you're reaching behind you and you're pulling in front of you, but it's not directly lateral. So what we did, this is a shameless plug. What we did is we developed a piece of equipment that has resistance from the lateral perspective, as well as vertical, as well as horizontal. So you get you get the resistance all the way around to fully develop the chest. And most people say, like, you've got this piece of equipment that's called a perfect push-up. Most people don't want to do a perfect push-up. They want to build a perfect chest. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. So the perfect push-up, and you'll notice that it rotates the handles. That's dangerous because it, it rows the shoulder out of joint. Now, supination is really good for the bicep. Now, if you take your arm and you put it straight down, Connor, and then put your other hand where the bicep uh, intersects, right where it starts, and you pull up, you'll feel that bicep at the top. Okay, now you feel the at the very bottom of that bicep, have your, with mm-hmm. your arm bent. Now rotate your hand. You'll feel that bicep go up and down. So you can get a peak contraction on the bicep by rotating your wrist. But when you rotate your whole arm in a push-up position, you're rotating that shoulder joint, that, that shoulder in and out of the joint. Hmm. That's not what you want to do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you're talking about this. When I work out, when I work out my chest, if I do like flies, the cable crossing you're talking about, right, that's bringing in the weight from the outside in, you know, into the central line of the body versus bench press, I will feel the flies or the cable cross or even using the dumbbells. I think it's called like dumbbell flies. I'll feel that much more the next, you know, I'll I'll do four sets of that and my chest will be nice and sore the next day versus I can do, you know, five, six sets of bench press and not feel it nearly as much the next day. Maybe it's just my body type because I've been doing bench for so so long. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay, so that's that's for chest. Let's talk. And about the other biceps. thing, one one other thing with that. The other thing with that is with a bench press, you're limited to that bar, and you have to adapt your body to the bar. But if you're uh-huh. using resistance bands or dumbbells, you can manipulate them to your body. And when you assuming you push that bench press straight out that's only partial range of motion, you have to squeeze all the way into the center so that you get a peak contraction. So you're not really getting a full range of motion with the bench press. Mm-hmm. Like with uh, biceps, like you were saying, biceps is a great, a great muscle group to grow to really add to the male body along with the shoulders. But bicep curls, heavy bicep curls with the barbell, you're normally stronger with the barbell than you are with dumbbells. And what causes the muscle to grow is the maximum amount of weight with good form without any ballistic movements, because that's damaging, without any ballistic movements controlled in full range of motion. So with the bicep curl, it's in with the barbell curl, you don't have the ability to supinate. You only do those when you isolate and that puts the peak on your bicep. Can you just explain what? What supinate is? What I'm not sure what that what that means. Okay, supinate is when you're rotating your wrist. 
When you uh-huh. rotate your wrist at the top of the repetition, uh-huh. uh, you'll see the bicep get shorter as you rotate your wrist, but it focuses on that peak of the bicep. So in order to really build the biceps to look good, not just bigger, but shapely, I would do the barbell curls for the heavy portion of it to build the size and then uh, concentration curls with the supination for the peak on the top of the bicep. Okay, good. And are you doing like three sets of those? Are you doing four sets? Like what would the sort of the Ron Williams prescription be? Well, I would do a total on each muscle group between nine to 12 sets. So if you're, if you're going to do three exercises, it would be three sets a piece. If you're going to do two exercises, you probably have to do 10 sets, man, because you have to do more than less. Got it. Got it. Okay. And I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard the key to big biceps is actually big triceps. What's your take on that? No, uh, the key to big arms is big Uh triceps. Okay. Not the key to big biceps because biceps are biceps, triceps are triceps. But the thing about that, what's so cool about that is the tricep, uh, the bicep has two heads and the triceps has three. So you can build your biceps to be huge, but if you have small triceps, it takes away from the whole arm. So when you build that tricep, you have a third more muscle that's back there on the tricep that you can develop. And so what makes the arm look even bigger is your forearms. If you have good sized forearms, it makes the arm look bigger and shorter. The longer the arm looks, the thinner it looks. See, I'm um, I'm really an illusion because uh, what happens, I have really short bones, but long muscles. And see, you can have uh, you can have three to six different uh, scenarios. You can have a short bone and a short muscle, which doesn't look very good. You can have a long bone and a short muscle that looks horrible. You know, you you see some people, they, it's, it's like they have a stick for calves, just straight up and down. There's nothing they can do to change that. They can get a little bit better, but they don't have a lot of muscle fiber there. And they have a short muscle belly. My body was made for bodybuilding because I have short bones with long muscles. Very seldom when you find in my physique a medium muscle length, but I have a lot of muscle fiber, which makes me appear to look bigger and thicker than I really am. I remember kind of when I first started competing, I went to a competition. I was at the door and they said, "Um, it's going to cost you $20 to get in. I said, I'm a competitor. They said, no, you're not. I said, I, I, I'm one of the competitors. I showed them my number. But when I stood on stage, kind of, I just three-dimensional. I just, you know, it's, it's like I unfolded something when I first started because I was more of a track athlete and a swimmer. But then I started getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was more noticeable. But when I first started, I just had the muscle bellies and the um, and the short bones. Yeah, I feel like I'm the long and long. Like I'm, I'm it's like six one, six two. Got long arm. Like I got a long wingspan, which is great for boxing. Long legs, but it's, it's interesting. I just watched the. I like to watch UFC sometimes, and I was watching John Jones fight with Cyril Gaon uh, a couple of weeks ago. I guess it's like a month or so ago now, or two two months ago. And it was interesting because John Jones is like this massive dude, right? He's like six foot four. You know, he's put on a lot of weight to enter into the heavyweight division. Little tiny calves. <laughs> you know, yeah. he said very thin calves. And it was one of the things I 
I was like, well, that's super interesting. I saw him talk about it. He's like, I just, I work them out all the time, but they just don't, they just don't get bigger. And I've, I've noticed that with myself where I can build upper body mass and my quad mass pretty quickly, but my calves just don't grow a lot of mass, you know? And I, and I usually do them quite a bit, but I just seem to have super lean calves. Is that, is that a body style thing? Am I, like, am I doing something off there? Like, what, what do you, what would you thoughts be? There's a couple of things with calves is you have to look at the calf, uh, look at the length of the muscle and the muscle bellies. And then you look at how much muscle fiber is there. And then most people, they don't work their calves correctly. They add a lot of weight, but they don't get a full range of motion. They add a lot of weight, but they don't concentrate or focus on the focal point to maximize the exercise they're doing. If you're doing calves like normal people, when they raise up on their tiptoes, they move out to the side like this. Like their heels move out to their side. The heels move out to the side and all of the pressure goes to the baby toe. That actually relaxes the calf. Mm. And so what you have, so you put more weight on and you get all the way to the top and you never really get that peak contraction, which is going to cause that calf to grow. You're not, you're not tearing the muscle fiber in the way that you should. You're hitting and missing. So what you have to do is when you're going up, you focus on the big toe and you turn your ankles in towards each other and it forces the calf to contract. You have to use less weight before you can do that, but you're working the muscle and not manipulating the weight. You're maximizing that effort. And you can look at the calf. If I could see your calf, I could tell you what the possibilities of what your calf would do. So if you were to take your leg and do like this and put it up, I would be able to say, okay, I see what we're working with. And we could... We could, we could, we could do whatever, you know, we can maximize what you have there, but calves are tough, man. They're tough. Yeah. And most of your black competitors, uh, they struggle in that area. I've, I've heard people say that calves are like the second, what do they call it? Calves are like the second heart or something like that. But like working out the calves is so good. I was listening to this guy, uh, Andrew Huberman, he's a Stanford professor, and he was talking about this, this study, this research that came out. It was fascinating because one of the things that they they were tracking is how what people can do to lower glucose within the body, like uh, mm. lower lower the glucose within the body just naturally. And they found that if people sitting did calf raises for I think it was two to four hours during the day, that it would naturally decrease their glucose levels in the body because there's something about simulating walking and because when you're doing the calf raises you're simulating almost like a hiking up uh, a, a vertical staircase or you know up the side of a hill or something like that but there's something about that action that they're not too sure what it is that's that stimulates your your heart rate it stimulates your insulin production and balances out your glucose levels and so but i've heard i've heard in other places people say that the the calves are a very important part to the circulatory system within the body. Absolutely. And part of the reason why is it's actually the furthest large muscle group from the heart. And uh, it helps to facilitate all of the, um, all of the blood to the lower extremities uh, of your feet and your, and your toes. That's the largest muscle group before you get to the most extreme part of your body. And so it forces more blood into the lower part of your ankle and your feet. 
So it's really important, uh, especially like just like that study said, if you're working your calves, you know, when you're sitting down, you're just moving up and down. It's pulling blood flow down to the lower part of your body. Yeah, it's the, what was it? Sitting's the new smoking, right? That like sitting for too long during the day is the new sort of detrimental thing to your health uh, that we're, you know, sort of all facing. And so I've tried to make it a conscious effort to do calf raises sometimes, <laughs> you know, on, on calls and stuff like that. Or I'll use my stand up desk and I'll be on a meeting, you know, standing up doing calf raises. And it's interesting because as we're talking about this, my grandfather, who lived until he was 95 or 96, used to do calf raises all the damn time, all the time, you know, and he was this wiry farm boy, you know, from the middle of Canada, but he was strong as a horse, man. You know, like he was just, he was lean and he was wiry, but he was, even in his late 80s, I remember shaking his hand as a teenage boy, I guess it was in my late teens, and he just had this iron grip. But one of the things I remember is I would come out in the morning and see him sometimes and he would, he'd be in the living room, you know, 630 in the morning, drinking his coffee, doing calf raises, looking out, <laughs> out the window, you know, in his 70s or 80s. Uh, I'll never forget that as a kid. It's just, you know, I think sometimes we take fitness to be this thing of like, oh, I have to go into the gym hours a day. And, and you know, maybe that's something that you want to do. But I think that fitness can also be a way of life. And so I'm curious if there's things that you do just out in the world or at home, you know, that that keep you healthy, um, that have become a way of life for you. Well, Connor, to be to be honest with you, man, um, working out was never, you know, when I was younger, is never something I loved to do. Working out and training in the gym. I never loved to do that. What I loved to do was win. <laughs> love to win. And uh, I wanted to compete in order to win. I had to train a certain way. I had to discipline myself until over the years, I just got used to training and it be just became habitual for me. But I, I never really, really enjoyed and loved it. So I have to have an end goal. Whatever my mm. end goal is, whatever it requires to reach that goal, I'm willing to do that but not for the sake of just working out. Most of my workouts, when it's warm out, when it's warm, I work out outside, man. I'm on the track, I'm in the pool, and I develop equipment so that I can do things on the road and outside. Yeah, so it's building those habits and disciplining yourself, and it becomes like breathing. Some things are, some things are uh, skills, and then some things, you know, they're skills that we have to nurture. And I didn't realize that until I was probably about 22 years old when uh, I look back on my life. Because as I said before, I don't remember having a toothbrush until I was 18 years old, was in the military. Mm -hmm. So brushing my teeth every single day was not habitual. It was not a habit to me. And uh, when I went in the military, that's something that they disciplined you in doing. So I had to learn that and didn't realize everybody else did that every day anyway. You know, so I had to learn how to do that. So it's the same way with working out. If you do it every single day, it just becomes a habit to you, second nature. Yeah, I was talking to the guys in the Alliance. I have this online membership with like four or 500 guys in it now. And I was talking to them today and sort of sharing a little bit about my mission and talking about how 
just dedicating myself to working out five, five, six times a week has been really transformative in a lot of ways and, and shifting it to forcing myself to working out in the morning, which is something that I've resisted for a very long time. And I used to, you know, work out in the afternoon or later in the day and pushing it to first thing in the morning has just, I mean, it's brought a lot of benefits to me. And I've actually, I actually did it in part because I heard, I heard and read some research that said that there's a benefit for most people's bodies to doing it first thing in the morning because it, it creates a stress spike, a cortisol spike in the, in the morning. And if you can get that out of the way, it actually sort of like sets your, your system because having a cortisol spike in the morning is, is connected with your circadian rhythm. It's actually beneficial for you to have some kind of stress spike in the morning, whether you do a cold shower or, you know, breath work or workout or whatever. And uh, it's just becoming sort of getting ingrained in my life now, which is really wonderful. And, and my son is starting to see it. He's two years old. And I bought uh, gymnastics rings, you know, for my gym to do pull-ups and push-ups and, all, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so now sometimes he'll go and he'll, he'll want to come downstairs with me and he'll hang off the rings and swing around. And, you know, I'm trying to get him to hang on there as long as possible. And then he'll sometimes sit and watch my workouts, but it's incredible. You know, it's a really incredible thing. And it's, I've watched some of the, I've watched some of the guys in the Alliance start to, you know, really start to change their bodies and, and make it a priority in life, which I think is incredibly important. So anyway, with all, with all that said, what are some of the other key pieces that you think people should incorporate into their daily lives? I know you, you brought up, I think, HGH before, like human growth hormone. How, how important is that? I've, I've heard people talk about that a lot. Are there things that we can optimize for uh, human growth hormone production, optimization within our body? Absolutely, man. One is um, the three basic exercises, squats, deadlifts, sprinting. If there was a fourth fourth one, it would be pull-ups. So that releases your own natural growth hormone. Getting into REM sleep or REM and the Delta sleep helps you to release your own natural growth hormone. So if you're really, really stressed before you go to bed at night, uh, that's going to prevent you. If you have night lights in your room or where your eyes can see it, uh, that's going to prevent it. And your eyelids are not thick enough to prevent your eyes from sensing the light. So complete darkness. Uh, So the deep, deep sleep. So one good thing is important is make sure that you don't work, do your um, job or have something that is mentally stimulating right before bed, because that'll keep you from getting into that deep, deep sleep pattern. That's one. And then there are three amino acids that you can take alone that actually crosses the blood-brain barrier to help release your natural growth hormone. One is ornithine. The other is tryptophan. And then you have the arginine. Those three taken alone crosses the blood-brain barrier to release your own natural growth hormone from the pituitary gland. If you mix those with other amino acids, it becomes just a building block. Just like protein helps to build muscle, uh, it helps to, it's for enzymes, for hormones, helps to to, uh, build those hormones, but it won't release the human growth hormone from the pituitary gland. 
Interesting. Yeah. On the the note about nightlights, I read another study that was talking about how having nightlights on for kids or um, having your kids sleep with the lights on or nightlights, you know, in, in the room and whatnot can actually be damaging to eyesight. And that a lot of, I think it's nearsightedness is actually correlated to, to kids sleeping with nightlights on because mm-hmm. it, it does something to the, to the cornea and the, the lens within the eye where we're, you know, we're supposed to have time at night where it's just in complete darkness. And so over time of sleeping with a nightlight on, it'll actually cause your eyes to become fatigued. And so your, your nearsightedness, so seeing distances will become impacted which I found wildly fascinating. Like it's, it was, and it was, I don't remember the exact data on it, um, but it was shocking how like the, the impact that sleeping with a nightlight on can have. And so to hear that also impact human growth hormone is makes a ton of sense. What, what is HGH uh, important for? Like what, what is, in terms of our health, our, our fitness, our, our muscle build? Well, one thing HGH is uh, they call it the miracle hormone for youth, life, and longevity. Uh, also with the kid, if, if they have the nightlight, it actually affects their growth. It affects their brain. It affects obesity. You know, mm. if you have less human growth hormone, then you're more susceptible to becoming overweight and obese. And most people after the age of 23, the age of 23 is when it starts to slowly decrease. And once it starts to decrease, it's easier to put on extra body fat. So the human growth hormone is to keep you, it helps to keep you lean. It helps you to build. It helps to keep you from putting on extra body fat, but it also helps you to put on lean muscle as well. Uh, it's good for your mind. It's good for you emotionally. Uh, you feel, especially as a man, more confident in who you are as a man. They had a, a a study that they did with boxers, and with this study, they tested the boxers before they went in the ring to fight. After the fight, they tested them again. They went in the ring, and they were basically the same. After the fight, the person that won, his growth hormone increased exponentially. The one who lost is decreased. So even in winning, it increases your testosterone, and your growth hormone. So when you win, win, win. So what I what I do with a lot of my clients, I find a way to help them win every single day in some aspect and set it up. And they know in their minds, I'm releasing natural growth hormone. It's helping my body to develop and to build more towards my goal. So how can we put something in your life that makes it a win every single day? Even as small as making your bed and first thing in the morning when you get out of bed, make your bed, Ah, start the day off with a win. So just little things like that. And I have them put their clothes. If their workout is in the morning, don't put your work clothes next to your bed. Put your workout clothes next to your bed. Because when you get up, you don't want to make a choice. I'm putting my workout clothes on. Oh, that's right. I must, I need to work out. So with those are small triggers to help them to win and to not only get in their workout, but to start their day off on a, you know, on a good note. Yeah, it's, uh, well, we're probably gonna have to wrap up here, but because this, I mean, this has flown by much faster than I expected. There's a lot more I wanted to talk about. I remember recently I saw a study, they were talking about sprints 
being one of the most effective ways in increasing your natural, uh, your HGH. And one of the things that you can do, which I mean, I don't like them, but they're really good where you do a max sprint for 20 to 30 seconds, and then you rest for 60 to 90, and then you do a max sprint for 20 to 30. I think it's 30 seconds. And so one of the things that I do is on my assault bike, I'll do, you know, four or five rounds of that at least once a week where I'll do max effort for usually 30 to 40 seconds and then I'll rest for 60 and then back in for 30 to 40 seconds and then rest for 60. And then I think the study showed that if you, if you can work your way up to eight cycles of that, which is a lot when you're doing max, max effort, max sprint, you know, that it can increase your HGH production by like 400%, uh, which I thought was pretty, pretty freaking wild. And what I found interesting to just sort of cap this off, and then I want to hear your thoughts on what else we can do and, and just your thoughts on this, and we'll close it out, was even even though it crushes me, it's very, it's very, very hard exercise, I feel phenomenal after. You know, I really do. I really just feel phenomenal. It's like the, you know, it's like the ice bath first thing in the morning. Just feel good. Um, <laughs> but, but in the moment, I mean, I'm just swearing at that assault bike you know <laughs> just cursing at it and i think i posted a photo of me on instagram the other day just like giving my assault bike the middle finger <laughs> this is just you know it's just kicking my ass but it's so worth it but any i know we've talked about a bunch of things we've kind of taken a very technical tactical approach which i love i've learned a lot from you in today's conversation any final thoughts on any of the subjects that we've talked about? Anything that you would want to add in? Um, and maybe we'll, we'll end there. Yeah, one thing you had, you had talked about, putting on lean muscle mass and uh, decreasing body fat. What are some of the best ways to do that? Well, uh, one of the things, we have several energy systems and we have body sculpting systems. And the way, you know, no matter what you do, if you add anything, you're going to get some results. If you say, I want to lose body fat and you start moving, then you're going to lose some body fat and you change your diet a little bit. You get rid of the Coke, you get rid of the juices, you get rid of the white bread, you're going to lose body fat. But the thing is, whatever your goal is, you want to use the least path of resistance and you want to get as much out of the time spent in the gym or on the bike as you possibly can towards reaching your goal. And so you have energy systems and body sculpting systems. And if your goal is to build muscle, you need to pair the energy system and the body sculpting system together. If your body is to lose the maximum amount of body fat, then you need to pair that energy system along with that body sculpting system. So if my desire is to put on an enormous amount of muscle mass and I change my eating and start eating clean and I start lifting weights, uh, that's all great. But am I doing the right reps? Am I doing the right sets? Am I eating the right food to fuel my body to perform for me? So if I'm trying to build muscle, I need to eat muscle. So my first macronutrient that I want to concentrate on is where's my protein coming from? Are these good sources of protein? How much protein do I need per muscle pound? So that's my focus. Then I want to make sure I have the right amount of carbohydrates and fat to facilitate that. If my desire is, you know what, I've got, I've got enough muscle. I don't want to build a lot of muscle. I want to be defined. 
So it's going to require energy and intensity to get the definition. So my first macronutrient is carbohydrates. Where am I getting my good quality carbohydrates from? But I need the protein to maintain the muscle I have. And I need the fat to lubricate the joints for my heart. I need the fat to also lower my blood glucose levels because it takes longer for the body to digest and absorb. Now, if I want to decrease body fat, I've got to use the right energy system and I've got to use the right body sculpting system. So this is the type of training I'm going to do. It can't be high intensity because I'm moving more towards building definition, not losing body fat. And the thing is, we say, I'm building muscle, I'm building muscle. Well, you're never going to see that muscle. It's underneath that big, huge layer of fat you got. So we need to get rid of the layer of fat so you can see the muscle. So I'm getting rid of the extra body fat. Guess what? It requires fat to lose fat. You have two types of fat, the brown fat and the white fat. And you want to make sure with the saturated fat, it stays solid at room temperature and it's, it, it, it maintains itself. But if you have the essential fatty acids in your body, they have open bonds and they're alive. And so they're going through the system like this. And because the bonds are open, they actually connect to fat and pulls it right out of the system. It, it actually... Uh, vasodilates. It uh, causes your arteries and your veins to open up. It's good for the heart, good for your eyes, everything. So with that being said, I'm getting rid of the body fat. If I want to maximize my fat loss, then I need to do extremely low impact training with a keto diet. If I'm on a keto diet and I do intense work, then my body releases cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And that stress hormone is a muscle-wasting hormone, and it's considered a stress hormone. And it depletes, it actually attacks the muscle tissue and converts it into glycogen, which is converted into blood sugar, which causes the pancreas to release the insulin. So it kicks you out of keto, and you're working with the wrong body sculpting system with the wrong energy system. So you have to have the right energy system, the right body sculpting system to maximize your desire. I love that, man. I feel like <laughs> you just laid it all out. There's some amazing science in there. And I feel like we could go down a rabbit hole on each one of those uh, to sort of lay out what that looks like for each of them. But we're going to have to wrap up and, and pause here for today. Uh, I always value our time together in our conversation. Thanks again for joining me. We will have the links to all of your channels, your websites in the show notes, and uh, we'll have the link to your your product in there because uh, it looks like a really, really awesome device. I'm going to have to check it out and get it for my gym. So thank you so much again for joining me, Ron. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Everyone that's out there listening. Man it forward. Share this conversation with somebody that is prioritizing their health, their fitness, their body. And that's it for this week. Until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.